You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. We are beginning this morning a new, uh, new series, as Pastor Martin has already said, Empowered. I think we're going to come up on the screen there. Empowered, the life-changing presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's a significant title. Empowered, the life-changing presence and power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we can all have misconceptions about God. Who knows our world is full of misconceptions about God? We see them all the time in views being expressed on the telly, on social media, famous people, celebrities, some with very strong opinions, with very significant misconceptions about God. We can have misconceptions about God the Father, we can have misconceptions about God the Son, but perhaps there is most misunderstanding and most ignorance about God the Holy Spirit. And so we begin this morning by saying, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Now, maybe you've come here this morning. Maybe you're a visitor to church. Maybe it's your first time here today. Maybe you've never heard of the Holy Spirit before today, but you will have heard him. We've mentioned him in our songs. You'll have heard him in the words as we baptize people this morning. We baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Every much we believe as part of the Godhead as the Father and the Son. And for us as a church here every week, well, as we go into a season of going deeper and reaching wider, friends, we are only going to do that as we are empowered by the life-changing presence and power of Jesus Christ. And it begins of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It begins with understanding who He is. Now, before I go any further, let me tell you a little bit of my own experience with the Holy Spirit. You see, I was brought up in a family. I was taught about God. I was taught that Jesus had died for me. This was part of what was put into me. In fact, I was only four years old when I first invited Jesus into my heart. I, can, I don't have many memories of that season of life, but I remember it very clearly. It won't surprise you to hear that my theology was quite undeveloped at that point. There were many things I didn't understand, but as I grew older and into my teens, I learned a lot more, particularly about the Father, particularly about the Son. I learned to trust God. I loved God. I understood something of the Father. I understood something of Jesus and what he'd done for me, some of what we've heard in those testimonies today. But my understanding of Holy Spirit was much more patchy. Sometimes in the places I was, he was referred to as the Holy Ghost, and that made him sound a bit freaky. (laughs) And really, my only framework of reference was the Apostles' Creed, this statement of beliefs, which in the Anglican church where I went to, we used to recite or declare every week. It's going to come up on the screen here. This is what we used to say, or some version of it, every week. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Holy Spirit, and the Virgin Mary, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, 
whence he comes to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Great statement to say every week, brilliant. But those two mentions of the Holy Spirit were really the mainstay of my frame of reference. There was a third thread to this, which was sometimes in church we'd say something called the grace. It comes from a verse in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It says this, May the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you forevermore. And we used to say it to each other. We said the fellowship of the Holy Spirit may it be with you. I had no clue what the fellowship of the Holy Spirit was. It was just words. I used to say it. I used to say it sincerely, but I had no experience. I had no understanding. But these really were the words that gave me some limited understanding that there was a Holy Spirit there who was significant, who was involved in the birth of Jesus Christ. I believed in him, but I didn't really know much about him. And then some things began to change in my life between the ages of 17 and 19. It really began when a lady called Rosemary in my church, a much older lady, invited me to go to a ladies' breakfast. And we went to this ladies' breakfast, and there was a lady speaking there called Suzette Hatting, which some of you may have heard of. She used to minister with Reinhard Bonnke, who uh, carried out many, many missions across Africa, saw millions of people give their lives to Jesus Christ and be healed and saw incredible power. She was a woman who was full of the Holy Spirit. And I remember that morning, and the reason I remember it is not because she spoke brilliantly, although she did, and I can still remember the message she brought, but I remember that morning because in the room that morning, it was the first time that I felt the presence of God. There was worship, and I tangibly felt God in the room. And what happened in the weeks that followed is I kept, because we'd sung songs that I'd never heard before, I was trying to find the songs it wasn't in the days of Spotify, it was in the days of cassettes. You couldn't just like find stuff. But I'm trying to find out the songs because I wanted to get back to that place. What was that in the room? It was God. It was the presence of God. I'd met the Holy Spirit. I didn't quite know it all as such then, but I met him. I encountered him. And I felt like that's what I was born to be in. The presence of God. It stirred something of a hunger in my heart. Over the couple of years that followed, I just took some more tiny steps to experience more of the Holy Spirit. I took a year, of out, a year out between school and university and came across some people there who were so full of the Holy Spirit, they were slightly frightening. They prophesied over everything that breathed. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was encouraging and also slightly unnerving. But what it made me realize was I came alive to the fact there was so much more than I had experienced, and I wanted it. I desired it, but I didn't quite know how to enter in. And in fact, in that season, I went back to Rosemary, the lady who'd taken me to the breakfast. I said, how do, how do I go about this? How do I go about speaking in tongues? How does this? She said, well, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I do this? She said, go into your room, close the door, and ask the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit and wait. And then she said, then just begin to try and speak in a language that isn't English or French, she said, because I was actually at that time living in France. But she said that to me. So I went home, I closed the door, I sat down, I prayed. I said, Lord, will you please fill me 
with your Holy Spirit. And I waited. And I waited. And I waited a little more. I'm not sure exactly what I was waiting for. I kind of felt like there should be some power manifestation, as there sometimes is when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, but that didn't really happen. I felt very peaceful, but there wasn't anything more explosive or dynamic. And following on from that, I did have a go at speaking in tongues. And I was able to make a couple of unusual sounds that I hadn't made before. Some of you have experienced something like this. But the fact that I was so self-conscious and so determined that I was not going to engage in anything that wasn't completely real, that I quickly put it aside and moved on. And over the next few months, I had a couple more attempts, but with a similar outcome. Eventually, you'll be pleased to hear, after 18 months, I did finally get going at speaking in tongues. It doesn't need to take you 18 months. That's just how long it took me. It's not very impressive. It's not exactly textbook, is it? It doesn't sound very much like the day of Pentecost. But this was my faltering start, my experience of stepping in to find more of the Holy Spirit. I found this was an area of my Christian life at first I felt I wasn't very good at. I felt very faltering. It was difficult. I felt a bit embarrassed. You know, I'd, been, I'd been a Christian for a few years. I knew my Bible quite well. But when it came to the Holy Spirit, I felt like I was a baby. I knew nothing. I wasn't very good at it. I even found it hard to receive. We'd go to some places. It was in the era of the Toronto Blessing, some of you might remember. And I went into some settings where people would be prayed for and you'd have a line of people standing and everyone would fall over under the power of the Spirit. And then I'd be left standing and everyone else would go down. I was like... I don't get this. I was a slow starter. All right, that's what I'm saying here. I desired it, but I found it difficult. I was faltering. I didn't feel very good at it. I'm a thinker, and sometimes I'd overthink trying to encounter and experience Holy Spirit. But even in that season where I sometimes was very questioning, something happened when I was 20. I hit something of a personal crisis, and as a student, I remember going into my room and began to talk to God, and the tangible presence of God filled my room. Just enveloped me, filled me, in a way that I was like, all of my questions and feeling a bit silly about how I'd been with the Holy Spirit and whether I was really growing or growing, I was like, you're here with me, Lord. Your presence is here, Holy Spirit, you're present and you're in me. And I knew that God was in me and with me, and he was going to bring me through. You see, his presence... The Holy Spirit's presence changes everything. It changes everything. And in the last 20 years since then, of learning to walk with Holy Spirit, of learning to work with Him and nurturing His presence and seeking to become more sensitive to Him, I've got to say that the life-changing presence and power of Holy Spirit has become indescribably precious to me. Indescribably precious to me. And for many years, I'd had a Christianity that was real. It did shape my life, but without the vibrancy, without the passion, without the energy, without the intimate presence of Holy Spirit, mainly because I didn't understand who he was. I didn't know he was there to help me. I didn't know what it would look like. 
And I know for some of us here in church, maybe we're new to faith. Maybe we're new on this journey with Holy Spirit. And that's why we're here in these few weeks. But to help us this morning, I want to take us to the Bible. And we're going to see how Jesus introduced Holy Spirit to his disciples, to those first followers. uh, Because I think it will help us when we see how he introduced him to them. So we're going to read from John chapter 14. We're going to read this in the message this morning. And we're going to read from verses 15 to 27. John 14, 15 to 27. The context here, before I get into it, Jesus has just begun preparing his disciples for the fact that he is going to die, that he isn't always going to be with them, that he is going to leave. In fact, in the verses preceding the ones I'm about to read, he starts saying to them, in my father's house are many rooms. And I'm going to go there, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So he's beginning to try and get them to think of this forward-facing scenario where he's not always going to be there. And into that he says this. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. I will talk to the Father and he'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. The godless world can't take him in because it doesn't have eyes to see him, doesn't know what to look for. But you know him already because he's been staying with you and will even be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back. In just a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you're going to see me because I'm alive and you're about to come alive. At that moment, you will know absolutely that I'm in my Father and you're in me and I'm in you. The person who knows my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. And the person who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and make myself plain to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Master, why is it that you're about to make yourself plain to us but not to the world? Because a loveless world, said Jesus, is a sightless world. If anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word, and my Father will love him. We'll move right into the neighborhood. Not loving me means not keeping my words. The message you're hearing isn't mine. It's the message of the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request will make everything plain to you. He'll remind you of all the things I've told you. I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you, peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. Wow. Jesus is here. He's saying, I'm not always going to be here in person. And he says, I'm going to send you another friend. And we'll come back in a moment to exactly what that language means. But he's talking to them here about his presence. He's talking about the fact he's going to leave them his peace as he teaches them and begins to introduce to them the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus begins to explain to his disciples who the Holy Spirit is. He knows the next phase of his mission is going to look so different to what the disciples are anticipating. He knows he's not gonna be there in person. He knows the disciples are gonna need to be empowered. They're gonna need his power, but also his presence, the presence of Holy Spirit. And it's gonna begin with them knowing who he is. And so we get this dialogue that follows as Jesus is introducing the disciples really to the Trinity. 
He's introducing the Trinity. You see, the disciples, they'd spent three years with Jesus, and they were trying to work out who he was. Now, you've got to sympathize a bit with the disciples because they didn't have the script. It wasn't for them like it was a book where they could skip to the end and work out how it all finished and what was going to happen. They didn't have the New Testament like we do to read what would unfold. They were right bang in the middle of God's redemption plan, unfolding. They were in the middle of it. And they were really still getting up to speed with the idea that Jesus had come to make the Father visible. That's what Jesus had come to do. They were still getting up to speed with that. In fact, earlier in this chapter, chapter 14 of John, Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough. Show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus says, how can you say, show us the Father? We get this moment of Jesus going, "Um, Philip, that's what I've been doing for three years showing you the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Have you really not got this? I can almost hear Jesus' or feel Jesus' tones in this moment thinking, I'm about to explain the third part of the Trinity, and I've been with them three years, and they've not got part one. This is difficult. But here we have Philip saying, show us the Father. Jesus, how can you say that? See, at one level, they'd understood that Jesus was God. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen him forgive sin. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen him teach with phenomenal authority, unlike anything they'd ever seen before. Peter had even said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. He'd said, you are. We believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. At one level, they'd understood that Jesus was God. And at another level, they hadn't grasped it at all still. Anyone sympathize with that? (laughs) On the one hand, we've got it. On the other hand, it's still a mystery. Jesus, throughout this passage of Scripture, he's introducing, he's trying to help his disciples to understand that God is three in one. What we often refer to as the Trinity, it wasn't all embodied in the Father. Well, it was all embodied in the Father, but it wasn't uniquely embodied in the Father. It wasn't uniquely embodied in the Son in front of them. He's introducing the Trinity. You know, the Trinity, it's not a term found in the Bible. It's a theological term that explains how God is presented in the Bible. It's a mystery. It's hard for us to understand, I know. But, you know, we mustn't always expect God to fit within our human logic, for he made us. How could his greatness fit within our minds if he is the maker? You know, the best sometimes we can do is to come up with a simple illustration, maybe something like, a compound like water, H2O, two hydrogen atoms, one oxygen atom. The compound always consists of the same elements, yeah? Two hydrogen, one oxygen. The base elements are always the same with the same relative quantities, and yet its representation is different at different temperatures. It can be steam if it's hot enough. It can be liquid, hopefully, in the bottle that you're drinking from. If it's cold enough, it could be a solid or a crystal as it actually is with H2O. It's a substance. The elements, it consists of the same, but the representation is different. It gives us a little bit of a window, but it's a limited picture because the Father is not like steam. The Father is a distinct person. The Son is a distinct person. The Holy Spirit is a distinct person. They're not interchangeable. They don't change from one state to another but we can just come up with these little windows that can help us somehow to grasp something of the mystery of three in one. 
That's what Jesus is discussing. He's beginning with them, helping them to understand that he and the Father are one, part of the Trinity, that somehow they were both God, the same life, the same substance, the same essence, the same elements in them both. They consisted of the same stuff. If you could take their DNA, if they were to have DNA, I understand DNA is a human thing, but they would be identical. They consisted of the same stuff. One God, here being explained, two persons, two representatives or representations. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And just as the disciples are trying to fully comprehend this, and they clearly haven't all got it yet, Jesus introduces the third person of the Trinity. He says, actually, I want you to know that it's three in one. It's not two in one, it's three in one. And I'm actually about to send you another friend. The Greek word parakletos will unpack further in a moment, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is explaining to them the Trinity. He's explaining there's another friend coming, Holy Spirit. And what did the disciples already know about Holy Spirit? They would already have known some things. What did they already know? These were Jewish young men. They'd have been taught the scriptures. They would have been known that the Spirit of God is present throughout the Old Testament. Do you know the Spirit of God is there right at the start in Genesis 1 verse 2? In the beginning... He was there, it says, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He's there in the beginning. He's creator. It's the Word and the Spirit come together that cause creation to take place. And then throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit gets sporadic mentions. Artie Kendall, I think, puts it really helpfully when he says, the Spirit is the dispenser of all blessings and the source of all strength, courage, culture, and government. And really, he's expressing what we see through the rest of the Old Testament, that the Spirit of the Lord comes at particular points. We see him coming in Exodus when they come to make a tabernacle. And there's two skilled craftsmen, Bezalel and Holiab, Oholiab, that's hard to say, Oholiab. And the Lord says to Moses, I have filled them with the Spirit of God. I've filled them to make them be able to do, give them skill and ability, knowledge in all kinds of crafts, he said, to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, bronze, to cut and set stones. Did you realize the Holy Spirit does this kind of stuff? If you're a creative here this morning, you are moving with the Spirit. This is what he does. He is creator. But he came to fill these men, enable them not only to do these crafts, but to teach others to do it so that the tabernacle could be built in the way that it needed to be built. But the Spirit of God came on them. In fact, what we see throughout the Old Testament is the Spirit of God was given to particular people at particular times for a specific purpose. That's why we see then when uh, we have Moses on whom the Spirit of the Lord was. In Numbers 11, when we're, he's raising up some other elders and the Lord says, bring those 70 elders and I'm going to take of the Spirit that's in you and going to put that Spirit on them and then they will help to lead. We see it through the judges that are raised up. Othniel, Samson, Gideon, they're given the Holy Spirit that they might lead. And then as we go through the Old Testament, we get to the king's 
David, Solomon, they're anointed with the Spirit of the Lord on them to function as kings in Israel. This would have been the disciples' background understanding of the Holy Spirit. He came at a particular time to fulfill a task. If they'd been familiar with the words of Isaiah, the prophecies, then they would also have seen something further of the Holy Spirit. They would have known that whenever the prophet Isaiah spoke about the servant of the Lord, the Messiah who was to come, prophesying about Jesus, each time he would speak about the Spirit of the Lord. Isaiah 11 says this, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Isaiah 42, I will put my spirit on him. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. There are other scriptures in Isaiah which don't specifically mention the spirit of the Lord, although talking about the Messiah. But here, each time, the outworking, the redemptive work of Messiah was going to require the spirit of the Lord. Now, I don't know how much of this work of the Holy Spirit the disciples had noticed while they were hanging around with Jesus. Have you ever realized that sometimes when you're in the middle of something, you're least able to see what's going on? Is this true? You are, sometimes you notice it when you back off, when you come out, when you look back sometimes. Now, we have the benefit of Luke's gospel. The wonderful thing about Luke is he thought about what the Holy Spirit had done in the life of Jesus. And so when we read Luke's gospel particularly, we see the impact of the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit was involved in his conception. He tells us that in Luke 3, that when he was baptized, it says the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. He tells us in Luke 4 that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. It tells us in Luke 4:14 that he returned to Galilee, full of the Holy Spirit, went to the synagogue and says, he reads the verses from Isaiah 61 that begin, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. And he reads them all and then says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in my hearing, in your hearing, sorry. Now, it seems to me the disciples weren't actually called and following him at any of those first four chapters of Luke. So we can excuse them for not picking up on it. They weren't there watching it. Maybe they didn't realize just how much the Holy Spirit was at work throughout Jesus's ministry, leading him, directing him, empowering him, but they would certainly have known the Old Testament scriptures as background. Let me bring us back to these words in John 14. Jesus saying, I'm not going to be present. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. He's preparing them and explaining to them. And he says these words, verse 16, I will talk to the Father, and he'll provide you another friend, so that you will always have someone with you. What a wonderful promise. I'm going to talk to the Father, and he's going to provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. How much of our world would love the promise that they would always have someone with them? Everyone you meet. I want us to consider for a moment these words, another friend, another friend. 
alos parakletos is what it is in the Greek. It means another advocate or another helper, another comforter, another counselor, another one who'll stand in the gap for you, another one who'll come to your defense. The word in the message here translated friend, capital F, which is important, is this word parakletos. In the New Testament, it's a word that's used only ever to describe Jesus or the Holy Spirit as one who comes to speak in our defense, as our intercessor, our helper, the one who comes and encourages and comforts us, who comes alongside. Jesus is saying to them in these moments, I have come to come alongside you. As I have done, I've walked with you for three years I've come to be an advocate for you. I've come to speak in your defense. I've come to take your place. I've come to intercede for you. I've come to act on your behalf. I've come to, to comfort and encourage you. I've come to be your friend. Capital F, friend. And as he's preparing them for the fact that he's not always going to be there physically with them, he says, the Father's going to provide you another friend, another one, a friend who will do all those same things, another parakletos, who will be all the things that I came to be to you, he will be to you. And the word that Jesus uses here for another is also significant, because it's the Greek word alos, which means other or another or someone else. And the reason it's significant is because there's another Greek word for other, and it's heteros, and it means another but different. But Jesus doesn't use that word, he uses the words alos, another but the same, is the implication. He's saying, I'm not sending someone different to you, I'm sending you someone else who is the same. The same substance, the same essence, the same basic elements. In fact, he says in verse 17, you know him already. He's coming to you and you've not met him, but you know him already because he's been staying with you. What a thing to say to them. You know him already because he's been staying with you. It's really, he's saying, I'm telling you about him, but you'll recognize him. Because he's going to say the same things I say. He's going to respond the same ways I respond. He's going to point out the same things I point out. You know him already. I bet the disciples were scratching their heads at this point. It's okay. So you're introducing someone new, but we know him already. We haven't met him, but we'll recognize him. It's like, whoa. This is what it can be like when we talk about the Trinity. This three and God, one God that we serve. You know, before the verses we came to this morning, a little bit before those, Jesus says, I'm in my Father, and my Father is in me. They've got the baseline that Jesus and the Father are one. And now he introduces that there's another person, another friend, not different but the same, the same life, the same substance, the same essence, the same elephants, elements, just like me, he says. You know him already, you'll recognize him. It's not uncommon for us as Christians to have a misconception about the Holy Spirit that he's somehow less than the Father or less than the Son somehow subordinate or maybe a servant to the other parts of the Godhead. Or maybe that he's an indiscriminate power or force. But Jesus makes it clear here that he's a person. He's talking about him as a person, just like me, the same as me, he says to them, a parakletos. 
We see elsewhere in the New Testament very quickly that he has feelings. The Holy Spirit has a will, has a mind. He's a person, not a human, but a person who has feelings and thoughts and will and a mind. And he's made of the same stuff as the Father. And because sometimes, even in the early church, there were misconceptions about whether the Holy Spirit was somehow less as the early church councils grappled with orthodox doctrine, the Council of Constantinople, AD 381, made a statement about the Holy Spirit and made it official, saying this, that the Holy Spirit is equally co-substantial and eternal with the Father and the Son. Equally co-substantial. He's of the same stuff, the same essence, the same life, the same power, the same basic elements in the same relative quantities. He is the same. He's equal with the Father, equal with the Son. Jesus says, I'm sending another friend. It's the same kind. I'm not leaving you with anything less. I'm sending one of the same kind. Another friend is coming. There would only be one big difference, really. And it's important for us to note the difference. You know, sometimes we think it would be great to sit down and have a cup of tea with the physical Jesus, don't we? Wouldn't it be great just to sit down and have a conversation? And yes, sometimes it would. And yet what the Holy Spirit would bring would be fundamentally different to what Jesus brought in the flesh because Jesus could only ever be with them, but the Holy Spirit would be in them. He would be in them. We sang this morning, nothing can come between. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, people could come between his disciples and them. They could stand in between. They could carry one off to jail, and they would be separated. But when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, nothing, no one can come between, because he's in me. You can't separate my spirit from his spirit. It's not possible. The only way in which he's different is that he's in me, not just with me. That's why Jesus says, verse 20, at that moment, you'll know I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. So I'm not going to leave you alone. You're always going to have someone with you. He's going to connect you to the Father. He's going to remind you of what I've said. You're not going to be abandoned. You're not going to be bereft. You're going to know peace. You're going to know my presence with you. That's why Paul could say to the Colossians, he says, this hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is essentially who Holy Spirit is. He's Christ in you. It's true that later in this series, we're going to hear about more about the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was given that they might be witnesses. And that's important, and we will come to that in due course. But you know, when Jesus introduces the disciples to Holy Spirit, that's not where he begins. He begins with his presence. He begins with another friend. He begins talking about peace. And if we want to move in the power of God and the power of Holy Spirit, it will always begin with intimacy with Holy Spirit, with relationship, with proximity, presence, peace, and that's where Jesus begins with his disciples as he tries to show them who the Holy Spirit is. And for the Holy Spirit, there was, for the disciples in that early season, there was a bit more teaching to come, but not loads. And shortly afterwards, there were some instructions to go and to wait 
in Jerusalem to wait for this other friend to come to them, and, and a response was required of them. But I wonder, band, if I can just invite you to come up while I'm speaking. A response was required of them. It wasn't that they just needed to do nothing. They needed to do what they were asked to do, to position themselves to be ready for the Spirit to come to them. It wasn't for them just to believe, just to acknowledge, but actually to open their hearts and to be ready to welcome Holy Spirit. And for us in these next few weeks as we come to this series, there's going to be a challenge for us, not just to understand some more, but for us to respond, to position ourselves accordingly, to put ourselves in the place where we can receive. And it may not be for the first time, but I can tell you no one in the room has yet fully received everything God has for them. You've never fully encountered the full measure of Holy Spirit. And so wherever you're at today, there's more for you. I'm going to invite us, as I come to a close, just to uh, stand to our feet and perhaps to position ourselves with an openness to Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say a very simple prayer. And it sounds rather basic, but it's a prayer that I've come to pray every morning where I just invite Holy Spirit into every place of my life. And I'm going to invite you to pray it with me. So I'm going to do is say a line and I'll invite you to say it after me. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. And today, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Please come into every part of me. Please come into the central place of me. Please come into the high places. Please come into the hidden places. Please come into the dark places. But Holy Spirit, fill every part. And bring the Lordship of Jesus Christ to bear in every part of me. To your honor and to your glory. Amen. And now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill every heart and fill every life and help us to keep growing in capacity to receive you and to walk with you and to host you and help us to make room for you. But Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place, in each heart, and we respond to you this morning. Come and fill us, we pray. Amen.